Hello again, this is Daniel J. Hogan, and welcome to the Magic of Airy podcast, brought to you by magicofairy.com. This week, I have a special treat for you. Instead of our next episode, I have the audio from a panel discussion about fantasy writing I was a part of on September 1st at the Delta Township District Library. Joining me in the discussion was Jim C. Hines, writer of the Goblin Quest series, The Stepsisters Scheme, and The Mermaid's Madness, which is available on October 6, 2009. The third member of our party was Phil Klein, author of The Curse of the Kitsune. We each talk about how we got our start in writing, our various projects, and how each of us approach writing. We also answered questions from the audience. The audio quality will not be as good as the normal podcast episodes, as I just set my recorder on the table we were using and had it set to a low-quality setting because the panel was going to go on for so long. The panel runs about 40 minutes or so, and is included in its entirety here. The next episode of the Magic of Airy podcast will be available in two weeks, on Sunday, September 27th, 2009. And remember, Airy is spelled E-Y-R-I. Hi. And basically what we're going to do is the authors are going to talk about writing their books, publishing, really whichever way the conversation goes, that's fine. And then um, afterwards we're going to have a Q&A, and if you, do you guys want to do it after, or do you mind if they, do you want to do questions as we go along, or? Yeah, if you, if you have a question, like raise your hand, you know, we'll call on you and we can do it that way. You guys all right with that? Finally, okay. Yeah, we'll do that then. Just kind of go for it. Okay, and then afterwards, um, you'll have a chance to you can purchase their books. Or I know Daniel brought some podcasts, and everybody's willing to sign them for you. So um, I guess let's just get started. Okay, I guess uh, I'll start. She said, "I'm Daniel Hogan. I wrote The Magic of Airy. It's a fantasy comedy adventure story. It's kind of like uh, Monty Python meets Wizard of Oz." And as of late, I've been adapting it to a free podcast available at magicofairy.com. i got CDs over on the table. Just go ahead and take one. It's got the first eight episodes. They're MP3, so just listen to them however you want. Uh, Phil Klein and I wrote Curse of the Kitsune. Kitsune in Japan, and they take them quite seriously. This... <laughs> um, Photograph here, the picture is uh, symbolic because it's a. Uh, they are beautiful women, who are actually they're foxes, who turn into beautiful women, and uh, it's a mythological fox in Japan. Uh, my name is Jim Hines. Um, started writing almost 15 years ago now. A few years ago. Got my first trilogy published on Goblin Quest, Goblin Hero, Goblin War. Yes, there is a theme. Basically, fantasy adventures told from the goblin's point of view because when all these heroes are coming through and you're just a little goblin minding your own business, fantasy adventures kind of suck. Currently working on uh, a four-book series which, uh, well, basically came about my daughter went through a princess phase as five-year-olds will do. And I just got sick of it. I got sick of all of these simpering, look at me, I'm pretty, and I'm on your backpack, and your toothbrush. 
And now we're out of your pajamas. And I'm sick of it. And so, okay, I'm just going to write some books, and my princesses are going to kick butt, and they're going to save the prince, and they're going to kill bad guys. And that's just who they're going to be. And then when you get a little older, I'm going to go here. Um, the first one is the stepsister scheme, and the mermaid's madness comes out in exactly five weeks. But who's coming? <laughs> okay. All right, I guess we could talk about what is it we like about fantasy uh, or what, why we like writing about fantasy. Uh, Jim, do you want to start? Um, I like swords and magic and dragons and blowing stuff up. Um, I, I've always been a geek. You know, I've been reading fantasy and Star Trek and all of that stuff all of my life. And it just, you know, there, there are a couple of different answers. There's the, I love the geek, I love the what if, I love the sense of wonder. There's the, I like being able to control an entire universe and bend it to my will. Mostly, though, I think it comes back to the sense of wonder. You know, not only can, can you tell really cool stories, but you can do things and describe things and imagine things that you can't do in any other genre. And I love that. I love those moments of, oh, wow, this is just too cool. And I get to share it. I never read any fantasy in my life, <laughs> and uh, read a couple of other novels and a couple of plays, and and uh, primarily nonfiction, published in nonfiction. But uh, this particular one came because it was Megami Sakuma, was a Japanese girl in one of my classes, and. Uh, the same class that Matt is in right now, back here somewhere, <laughs> sales class, back in LCC. And I, I was doing a play on prisoners of war in Korea. I'm a kind of an expert on POWs in Korea and the Korean War. I did a novel on that too. And I needed a Chinese guard for this play. And doing it for the Veterans Administration in Michigan, and uh, they, uh, I couldn't find any Chinese that would be in a guard in my play. So she was in my class, and I said, would you like to be a Chinese guard? And she said, yes. <laughs> so she was a Chinese guard in this play. And uh, I was in Japan, and I'd heard about Kitsune, and uh, they're mythological foxes that live up in the hills, and they come down into the villages and they change into beautiful women who seduce men and the men waste away and die within 90 days. And um, they, they take it quite seriously over there and they have groups that go up into the hills and they burn fox, they burn straw foxes and stuff like that because a lot of people believe in the mythology there. So I just brought, because I teach at LCC, and I've lived in Lansing for years. I brought some of the Kitsune to Lansing. And uh, they, you'll, you read it, you'll recognize uh, probably about six or eight different locations in here, including the museum, uh, the riverboat, and, uh, and in fact, Lansing Community College, and the whole the setting takes place in Lansing. But it's, primarily, I wrote it because I enjoyed it. Uh, that's uh, along lines with uh, 
uh, what they said. Uh, I just I've always been a fan of fantasy ever since I was you know little and you know even back to the days of watching the old Dungeons and Dragons cartoon on Saturday morning. As ridiculous as the show was, but you know. Dungeon Master was cool. Yeah, <laughs> he was for poor man's Yoda. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I like writing fantasy for the same reason as Jim. I just like the being able to create your own world and develop that world and just do what you want with it and the sense of wonder, like. Have a character that's a talking sword who has abandonment issues. Why not? You know, that's one of the characters in my book. He's a talking sword, but he was left alone for a few hundred years, and now he has like separation anxiety issues and doesn't like being replaced by other weapons. That kind of stuff. You know, you know, kind of what if scenarios that you can only really do with fantasy. Kind of can with sci-fi too, but fantasy you can get away with a little bit more because with sci-fi, people want to see how things work a little more. Would you say, Jim? Like people want to. See more of the math behind things or science behind it. It depends on where in the in the science fiction genre you're right. writing. Um, if you're definitely if you're writing the harder science fiction, right. you, you will have people coming to your house and beating you up if you do not show your work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there there are fuzzier areas. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue about Star Wars whether yeah. that even qualifies, but yeah, fantasy's still there. Yeah, see, theirs are different than mine because they they can be God. You can make anybody anything, create it where I'm stuck with the actual Kitsune and uh, what they, the history of them, what they do. So uh, mine is just, it's more like a, just more like a true story, except it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I took some things uh, from mythology, kind of like most fantasy fiction writers do anyway. You kind of pick and choose things from fantasy, or I'm sorry, folklore and mythology and kind of meld that into your own World. I mean, you can look at the Harry Potter novels, for example. There's lots of stuff that's like right out of uh, Mythology 101, you know, class book. And uh, I mean, I did that with Magic of Area. There's some things I took and just kind of did my own spin on it or, you know, changed the names of. Uh, for example, there was a, a Roman myth, is it a Roman or Greek, about these skeletal birds, like owls or birds of prey that attack people in ancient times, and I kind of spun that into one of the bad reoccurring creatures in my novel. I just kind of changed the name a little bit, but um, you can, you know, it's some of the fun you can have. Well, a lot of the things, you know, when you're writing, I find that a lot of the things that I try to make up all on my own, mm-hmm. you know, I can either run with that and try and figure, or you, know, you can look at the folklore, you can mm-hmm. see what's already out there. Nine times out of ten, there's something out there that's way cooler and way weirder yeah. <laughs> than you ever would have thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's just if you do the research, and actually, which means looking beyond Wikipedia, <laughs> yep. actually reading books, yep. but there's just so much weird stuff that you can use and incorporate and play with. Yeah, the novel I'm working on now has uh, like vampires and werewolves in it, and so I went back and tried to look at some of the really, really old werewolf and vampire myths and a lot of them are like very different than you know the true blood or the twilight stuff that is so common nowadays they don't sparkle no they don't <laughs> and you could what was one you could one of my favorites was you could become a werewolf if like a cat jumped over your grave or something or just little things like that like that you know obviously don't make it in the movies or whatever you are listening to the magic of every podcast 
a free audiobook podcast by Daniel J. Hogan, available at magicavery.com and through the iTunes Music Store. So, do you want to talk about like writing our first novel at all, or how we did that? I can start. Um, do you want to talk, do you want about, to talk about that? Novels? If there's something you want to hear about... And how you get from... How you get your idea from beginning to end. Okay. You start with an ending... Okay. And then try to create, well, how, how do I get to this end? <clears throat> yeah, I want to know that, too. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Um, the way I write is um, I'll get the idea, and my style is I don't worry about making everything perfect or even having everything make sense in the first draft. I just kind of plow through and see what happens. If you look at the first draft of Magic of Area that I wrote almost four years ago, um, and compared to this, there's stuff that is totally different. Like, I did complete rewrites of characters. One of the characters in this version, in the original first draft, he was like kind of a Robin Hood, I'm here to help you kind of guy. But then in the later drafts, in the final draft, he became a bounty hunter who you don't really know which way he's leaning as far as his affiliations for most of the book. And that made him a more interesting character instead of like, yeah, let's go do that and save these people instead of him being someone who's a mercenary and you don't know exactly what he's going to do. And, um, good guys are boring. Yeah, exactly. Good guys are boring. But that's how I write. I'll just, if I get an idea, I'll just kind of take go in that direction in the first draft and see where it leads. And the book I'm working on now, it's how a lot of things have kind of developed. I'm like, well, let's see if I'm stuck in this scene. I don't care. Let's just have someone blows a hole in the wall and they go in the next room and take it from there. But then it just keeps you keep the story going, and then you go back and you you realize okay this section is dumb, let's get rid of this, and you write something later that works out better, and you just kind of rearrange stuff. How you guys do? My uh, first one was an historical novel of the Korean War, but it was based on the on a real person. So all I did was follow him through basic training, officer training, and then over to Korea and then into the POW camps and then later out. So it was very simple. But when I wrote this one, some people, and answer your question, some people outline the whole thing. They outline it and say, here's what's going to happen. They know what, how it starts and they know how it ends. And uh, mine was just the opposite. I started this out and I had the idea and I brought a half Kitsune. He was to uh, Lansing Community College. <laughs> and then had her mother came over here and who was full witch, Kitsune, and then two cousins came over and I figured, uh, and I just wanted to see what happened as they came here and I just kind of watched them and see what they wanted to do and wrote down what they had in their minds and all the crazy things they wanted to do. And I just kind of followed them rather than coming up with ideas of what, what I would have them do. It's like uh, if you could figure out some, say your sister's a witch. <laughs> Maybe your sister's, your little sister's a witch. And you figure out some of the things that she would do if she came here to Lansing. And, uh, and that's what I did. I just kind of followed them. Rather than tell them what to do, I just wrote down the things that they did. Which uh, one of them is Sink the Riverboat, the Princess of, <laughs> Princess Laura is a real name, but that's not the name I used in here. And, and destroy a museum and and uh, cause cause problems. <laughs> I, before I start babbling on that, I mean, we can we can tell you how we do it. 
Mm -hmm. um, that may or may not work for you. Yeah. Every writer figures out their own way of writing a book, mm -hmm. and anyone who tells you this is how you must do it, it's full of crap, and you should just <laughs> smile and nod and walk away. It, the one I'm writing right now, I think, is my tenth book, and I'm still figuring out some of the details. But generally, it starts out with, well, let's go with the one I'm working on right now. I want to tell a retelling of Snow Queen. I know some of the things that I want to bring in my three main characters and how they're going to fit in. I know what's going to happen to one of the characters at the end, I think. Um, and I've got an outline. Right now I've got about 6,000 words written. By the time I have 30,000 words written, I guarantee you that outline will have been thrown away because it's broken. Uh, it's always broken. It's every time thing is broken because uh, pretty much what Dan was saying, you know, I'm going along and I realize, oh, wait, this is stupid or this is boring. Or wouldn't it be cool if instead of fighting we had Santa Claus... <laughs> with his, you know, phaser-armed sled come <laughs> zipping in and zap. Well, probably not. But what if I did this instead? <laughs> Santa Claus versus Snow Queen. Actually, Santa Claus... I, I should break this down. That's good. <laughs> I like it. That's not bad. Yeah, you can I, work that. Again, with the first draft. I have first drafts where literally the characters... And nobody is ever allowed to see these. Where the characters are walking through. I did this in the second Goblin book. And Jig... The hero, he looks back, and he's walking with this goblin warrior woman who is all strong and tough and got these two swords going, and she's just pretty much goblin badass, which doesn't happen very often. And he turns, and he looks around, and it's, ah! There's this old, hunched-over, wrinkled, smelly goblin woman with two canes, and the character literally in the manuscript says, What happened? And this other woman says, the author was so bored. <laughs> he, he didn't like me. He thinks I'll be more entertaining. <laughs> and for the rest of that draft, that's who she was. But what I found is that you know, I need structure. I need something to hold in my head. And when I'm writing that first draft, that's what the outline gives me. And when the outline falls apart, I have to stop and do another outline. And I'll go through three or four outlines and finally get the first draft and once I have a complete draft, that's the point where I start to figure out the story. Mm -hmm. That's not where, oh, I'm done now. That's where, oh, this is what this is all about. Huh. I should go in and rewrite this and incorporate that into the first 80,000 words. Because I didn't figure it out until 90,000. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a little tedious and a little painful, but that's the process that seems to work for me. The way that Jim and I do it, two basic ways are the two ways that they recommend. One is that you outline everything and then follow your outline. The other is that you don't. You just just write it and just follow and see what's going on. And those, like you say, there's there's no right way of doing it. Mm -hmm. The right way is the way that you like to do it. And uh, so that's, I just, I would, yeah. I would recommend finish because you will get frustrated. You will get stuck. That is normal. Uh, but if, if you get to that point of, oh, wait, this sucks, and keep starting something new, you never finish anything, you never learn how to finish a book. And I guarantee you, every one of these books, there was a point when I said, oh, my gosh, I'm a hack. Nobody will ever buy my stuff. 
I need to quit and go into real estate. Mm-hmm. Sure brought that graph you made the other day. <laughs> I, I've got a graph on my blog that when, and it just start. it's the phases of book love. That when you have an idea, it's the best idea in the world, and you are going to love this, and it's awesome, and then you start writing, and this is pretty good. It's not quite as good as I had hoped. And then you get about a third of the way through, and this is the point of suck, <laughs> at least for me. This is the, I, why? What happened? It was so pretty, and now it's, it's gunk. You push your way through, you get to this point here where, okay, it doesn't suck quite as much. You get over, okay, okay, this is, my editor might not fire me for this, okay, I'm done. And then, in my case, your agent calls you up with feedback, and you go way back down here. Because he says, Jim, what happened? (laughs) Um, That wasn't a fun phone call. But I posted this, and you would be amazed how many other authors, you know, published people pop up on the blog and say, yes, yes, this. We all go through it. It is normal. There's a story I read once about Neil Gaiman. He was he gave uh, he sent out like this uh, encouragement email. If you sign up to do National Novel Writing Month, you have to write fifty thousand words in thirty days. So he told the story about how he called his agent one day. He was working on a draft for whatever novel. He's like, "Oh, this isn't good. I don't like it. I should just start over." And the agent sighs and said, "Oh, you're at that part, aren't you?" He's like, what are you talking about? You do this every time you write a book. You get to a certain point in the writing process, and you just want to give, you know, give up. You think it's crap. Shut up and keep working. You are listening to the Magic of Airy podcast, a free audiobook podcast by Daniel J. Hogan. Copies of the original novel can be purchased through magicofairy.com and amazon.com. You can also download a PDF of the entire novel for only $3.75. Visit magicofairy.com for more details. And remember, Airy is spelled E-Y-R-I. I have a question. How many of you are interested in writing? Okay. okay. <laughs> you have, like, specific questions about yeah. how we write or <clears throat> whatever, writing in general. Don't Feel free to ask. Um, back to how I do things, too. I, I also kind of do outlines, um, like... I'll get an idea and I'll sketch things out. Sometimes I even draw pictures of, of characters or places so I just kind of can remember the description or what I want things to look like. I also do a lot of, uh, what do they call it, brainstorming. We write the one word in the center and you branch things off and kind of connect your, your thoughts. That's how I develop scenes or characters a lot. Like I'll start with a name in the center. Okay, they're this old and they do this and they have, you know, whatever. Um, so it's not like I just you know go to a blank Word document and just start writing. I do there is some prep work, like I, especially with the one I'm working on now. I did a lot of world building beforehand, like I figured out like some of the rules of the world, what their technology level was, some of the geography, which that's a lot of that's very helpful when you're when you're starting a story like fantasy to know how everything works in your world. So you're not kind of shifting gears halfway through the story, which in the first draft you can. That's fine. But it's still good to have a, an idea of how things work. But. First draft is allowed to be crap. Mm-hmm. It's okay. That's what revisions are for. Mm-hmm. Rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. Now, one thing that's helped me on what you were talking about here, Dan, is that 
to outline not what the story is going to be, but outline who the people are and have this one person and uh, this particular guy, He's uh, what his education is, uh, what his background was, what happened, how he grew up. Did he have any uh, emotional experiences when he was a child that would affect what he does now? Uh, and, and then just figure out each one of these people so that when somebody reads the book, they can they don't have to remember the names of the people because they can remember the odd things that they have done or the way they act. Just like each one of you dresses differently and acts differently. And uh, I could later on I could see each one of you and that's what that's what I'd do with the book and that's probably what they do with the book too. As they forget their characters so the characters are all different. Uh, and with because they grew up differently, and they talk differently, and they act differently, and they react differently. So, yeah, knowing how your characters function, like their own little personality traits, or like in some cases, like their addictions or their problems or their phobias, are a great way to build characters and just kind of make them stand out from one another, so they're not all you know, blurring together. Yeah. You know, like um, for example. Uh, uh, the book I'm working on now it's two detectives one is pretty much like a chivalrous knight kind of guy he's a detective his partner is kind of like a Clint Eastwood type cowboy who doesn't give a crap about the rules kind of thing so they each have their own way of approaching how they do things one is very by the book polite mm -hmm. and courteous and one doesn't care he'll you know break down a wall if he has to it's, you know how you separate your characters is there anything you want to add? <laughs> conflict is great. Yeah. Now, how your characters react to conflict. Mm -hmm. Which one of these people will punch it in the face? Which one will try to negotiate? Which one will run away screaming? I've written all of those characters, mm -hmm. but it, you know, you could you could spend pages and pages saying this person is he, he's a scared, cowardly little person, but he's very clever, or you can just show what he does mm -hmm. when that danger shows up. And the showing is usually much more fun and much more entertaining, both to write and to read, and it, it shows it better. Yeah, you can, like Jim said, you can sum up someone's a coward just by saying, a dragon showed up and and so and so and turned and ran 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 away, or his armor became rusted all of a sudden. Now you don't have to say he was scared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Show instead of tell. yeah. Did you have you? Okay, I'm hallucinating. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about publishing our first book or getting published in Jim's case at all? Do you guys want to hear about that? Okay, all right. I'll run with it. Um, I self-published Magic of Airy in 2007. I went to lulu.com. That was an interesting experience. Um, I could go back. I uh, wouldn't have done it right away. I don't regret doing it because obviously I'm here, you know, talking to everyone. So it worked out on some level. But um, if you're going to self-publish, really do your homework ahead of time. I did to a point, but I, didn't, I could have done more. Uh, the biggest thing for me was not knowing how much my book was going to cost when people actually were going to be able to buy it. I thought it was going to be like $15, which is originally what it was. But then I bought the ISBN package and so you could buy it on Amazon. And they doubled the price of the book. So this was like $30 at one point, which isn't good at all. So that's my advice. Just If you want to self-publish, which there are pros and cons to it. If you just have like a story you just want to have in a book form, you don't care about 
being famous or doing it as a job, you know, like say it's like a family memoir or something, it's a great way to go. But if you're trying to do it to get a career out of it, not so much, maybe. I don't know. And uh, mine is my original one, uh, first book I wrote was nonfiction, and nobody would look at it. So uh, I called a couple of publishers and asked them why, and they said, You have no credentials. Well, I said, I've been training salespeople for 30 years. He said, but you never wrote anything. So I took two years, and I went out, and I wrote. And I wrote for national magazines and sales and marketing executive international, American Marketing Association, and training and development, all those. And then I ended up with about 40 different articles that I had written. Then I sent it to eight publishers, and three of them wanted to publish it. They never read it. So if you're a nonfiction... They don't care about reading it. Then I decided I was going to write fiction, and they don't care what you wrote before. They want to read it. <laughs> and primarily, uh, like you said, there has to be conflict in the first five pages. The first five pages, you have to get people wanting to turn the pages. Because people walk in a bookstore, and they'll look at the first couple of pictures or the back cover, and they'll base what they buy on that. And so you have to have that that conflict of some sort or suspense. The purpose of nonfiction is to get is to teach people, is to get them to learn something. The purpose of fiction is to keep them awake. Mm-hmm. You don't want them to go to sleep, you want them to keep turning pages. And the end of the not only at the end of the chapter should it have the suspense for the next chapter, but every page should have suspense that wants you to make turn the page so you can see what's next. That is the purpose of it. and uh, But they read it. They don't care what you wrote before, except when you get an agent. Then they, they want to. Yeah. Even when you get an agent, they want to read it, and they will call you on the phone and yep. talk to you for two hours about everything you messed up. Yep. Even after you've sold them seven books and they, they trust you and they're paying you, they still call you up and say, Dude, why didn't... You know, it's like the editor calling J.R.R. Tolkien and saying, why didn't Gandalf just hop on the eagle and fly over to Mordor and drop the ring in? That's the sort of question the editor is there to ask. Um, I think you know, if, if you want to get published, if you want to write a book, no matter which way you want to go, research. Yeah. Figure out what you're doing, figure out what your options are, and know what you're doing. It's like It's like any other business, any other profession. You wouldn't... A lot of people compare it to brain surgery. I'm not sure why, but hold on a bit. You wouldn't just run into a hospital and say, Hi, I'm here. I, I brought my knife. Let me operate on somebody. Yeah, you practice, you study, you learn. Uh, it's the same thing. Learn the publishers. Learn the agents. Learn how self-publishing works if you want to go that route. Learn to tell the difference between a legitimate self-publisher like Lulu mm-hmm. and a blatant scam like Publish America. Yes. <laughs> Because one of these will result in a very nice book, and the other will result in tears. Um, For the commercial publishing, which is the route I went, research will also help you um, come to that understanding that you ain't going to get rich. You are not going to be Stephen King, um, J.K. Rowling, or Stephanie Meyer. You're going to be much closer to Jim C. Hines, (laughs) which means, oh, the check is nice, but I've still got the day job after all these books. (laughs) The upside of going this route is when this book comes out next month, 
y'all can walk into any bookstore in town and mm-hmm. it will probably be there. You can walk into any bookstore in Oklahoma and most of them will have it. That you get the distribution and the pricing because they're making so many books. You have that effect on people. I do. <laughs> I, yeah. yes. I have a question for you too. Yes. How many writing conferences have you been to and how many do you belong to a writing group? What do you mean by writing? A writing group where you meet regularly and talk, read each other's stuff. Um, I was in one a couple of years ago, yeah. but uh, I'm not in one recently or lately. Writing, one writing conferences? Um, science fiction fantasy conventions, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. But At conventions, most, yeah. you know, there are a couple <clears throat> of authors that I will occasionally email and say, hey, I needed to do a short story. Can you read this and tell me if it sucks? But no writer's yeah. group. At this point, yeah, get around other people who write. Get around other people who write. And there's a woman I work with right now. She's she couldn't walk. She all of a sudden she was 17 years old. She had she could not walk. She had she was on crutches. She was going to die. And uh, she's now a judge. She has a great 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 story. She need to do a better job learning how to write it. And one of the, you have a craft there, you're writing, because people read your stuff because of the way you write. And people read and tell your stuff because of the way you write. And uh, people will read yours because of the way you write. You have to have the story, but you also have to have the background study that, that, that they've done, that they, you've both done, yeah. Mm-hmm. You studied it, and not only studied writing, but Somewhere you were a writer, you wanted to be a writer for a long time. Mm-hmm. You probably too, yeah. It takes a while to learn how to write a story. Yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd have to learn how to write a story. It sounds simple and straightforward. You know, once upon a time stuff happened and then we all went off and we killed the wolf and everybody lived happily ever after. But learning structure, learning characterization, learning what to describe yeah. and what not to describe mm-hmm. and all of that. There's somebody back there. Was it a um, actually, it depends on which story, because I've got the Red Riding Hood book coming out, and I've also got the Muppet Werewolf short story coming out, and they have very different endings. So, yes and no. Yes, over here. Uh, when do they come out? Uh, Red Riding Hood's book comes out in July of next year, probably. The Muppet Werewolf story comes out in Esther Friesner's anthology Strip Mauled uh, on September 28th. Why is this Muppet? Because this is my favorite story ever in many years. Um, Friesner is funny. I, I love Esther. And she's putting together a couple of anthologies that are not urban fantasy. They're suburban fantasy. And the first book was about vampires, and I was on deadline, so couldn't write anything for her. The second one was about werewolves. I was still behind on my deadline and couldn't write anything for her. But then I got an email a month later saying... All of our authors came up short, and we need another story. Are you still on deadline? Like, oh, you're asking me directly. You um, um. So I needed to come up with something. And so I spent 24 hours going, werewolves, suburbs, I don't know, soccer moms. I, what? And I've got two little kids. And so we have children's shows. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm going to write a script. I'm going to write a Sesame Street script where one of the Muppets is a werewolf. 
Only, I'm going to change it so I don't get sued. <laughs> so we have, um, we don't have the count. We have the math magician. We don't have Kermit. We have Bobby the Bunny. We don't have Elmo. We have Verley. And my favorite scene, I'm, I'm sorry, I love this story. Just one more minute. My favorite scene, they've figured out that there's a werewolf running around, ripping up puppets. They're finding unstitched arms and stuffing everywhere. And the Burton Ernie couple, the Ernie just found the nose. It's And Roly is up in Roly's room, as you get on Elmo's world. And he's sitting there, hiding behind his couch, saying, hello, boys and girls. And he's got his crayon, and it's a silver crayon, and he's coloring bullets. <laughs> and he's saying, today, Roly's learning about hollow points. Because Roly ain't going down like that. And then we get the knocking on the door, and this booming voice, hello, it's the guest of the day. And Roly goes, ah, no, and just curses up a storm, which I will not do out of respect for the library, but swearing and Blowing, rolls through the door and finally comes over here and looks and oh, it's Tommy the Tuba. Oh, now Roly wants to learn about hiding evidence. <laughs> and I love this story. Comes out on the twenty-eighth. That's great. Yeah, sometimes you plot an outline, and sometimes you just sit there giggling madly like yep. crazy scientist guy. <clears throat> yep. I will say one thing too about uh, the one one of the good things about going the self publishing route is it allowed me to meet people because I went to conventions. I met you know Jim and uh, others. And Some might argue whether that's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Lose my train of thought. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> and so, by going to conventions and being on panels and meeting people, making connections, that helps as well. And um, and now, because of uh, doing all those things, I, that's how. Long story short, I'm doing freelance writing now because the website around town did an article about me doing all that, all the self-publishing stuff in the conventions, and then and they asked me to write for them. So it's you know, it's funny how it all works out, I guess. And most writers, nine out of ten writers, are, are pretty nice people. Yeah. They're happy to answer questions. They're happy to talk to people. They're happy to help out because most of us got that help when we were starting out. Mm -hmm. If you run into the tenth author in that group, just run away. But nine out of ten, they're, they're more than willing to, to try and help. Yeah. I've met a lot of really nice people over the past couple of years or more, yeah, two years. And it's, it's been great. And and again, it's because I just took a chance and self-published, and I just put my stuff out there, and I was able to meet those people, and you know, been pretty lucky, I guess. No one's really yelled at me yet about it, at least not to my face. Yelled at you about it? Well, I don't know. Yell's not the right word. Just uh, told me to stop or anything. <laughs> anyway, uh, any other questions about writing or fancy stuff at all? Okay, let's see. Come on, we've only been going 40 minutes. Yeah. Let's what see, have five minutes left, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have more and more than that. Okay. What time would you want? If you guys are ready, um, if you have no more questions, we can start the time now, or do you want to? Do you guys, does anyone have questions? Sorry, 
Beta Reader is that author that I email and say, tell me if this sucks. Because you do get to a point in a story where you can't see it anymore, mm -hmm. where you're too close and you are no longer a reliable judge of whether or not this is ready. So somebody, not your mom, yes, somebody <laughs> who is a good reader and is able to give feedback and not say just, this is good or this is bad, but can say, I liked the beginning because you jumped right into the story and this is a neat character, but then you spent four pages giving me his backstory and history and I don't care. But then at the end, where the werewolf shows up, then, then it got good again. <laughs> Sometimes beta readers take some training. Have, yeah, definitely. Having people, other people read your stuff to give you feedback is a good way to go. Even if just for editing purposes, like catching your grammar problems or, or that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's good to have other people read what you work on. And uh, especially like if you get stuck and you don't know what to do, like, here, read this, tell me, you know, some, what doesn't make sense or... And then there are writers' groups. There are probably 15 or 20 writers' groups in the Lansing area. And I'm with one right now that has about five people in it. And I've been in writers' group for the last six, seven years. And as I like to say, some do grammar. Uh, some give you tell what's here's the high point, here's the low point, here's, mm -hmm. here's what you have to do here. And you get other people, but... Not your mother, yes. not somebody who's going to just say nice things about it, but uh, get somebody else that writes and, uh, and listen to them and then rewrite and rewrite. I'm working on one night right now that I've just changed it because it sucks. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mystery that I wrote about seven years ago, and uh, I just changed the name of it. I changed the, the motivation. I changed a lot, lot about it, and I've, I'm going back through it now. And that's one thing that's great is to let it sit for a while and then go back and look at it when you haven't seen it for a year mm -hmm. because then you're looking at it like somebody else. And it's good to have other people read them and take a look and, and tell you that stuff. And that can be another nice thing about self-publishing is that you can set it aside, whereas if you're staring at an August 1st deadline... That you can't exactly email your editor and say, I'm almost done, but I think I want to wait for three months and let it simmer. So I'll get with you in uh, November. But something that is good is to, at least, even if it's the first draft and if it's not what you thought it would be, at least finish it because then you have that finished thing you can come through and say, okay, this worked, this didn't, you know, the... It is worth it just for that, just to finish something so you have a completed project. Don't have like five novels that are all like you know twenty pages, you know, into it or something. You know, just even if you know, even if it, take, if it takes you a year, you know, do it. Just get a finished draft that you can look through and tweak. Like the book I'm working on now, I've started a bunch of times over the past <laughs> ten years. Actually, it was the first book idea I ever had for a novel, and I would start it didn't like it and I would leave it alone and then I picked it up again last November after not touching it for like four years or so and I'm looking at like you said looking at it through different eyes and saying okay the first time I did it, I did like really straight serious now I'm a, now after writing Magic of Airy, where I found I like writing more silly you know sarc sarcastic stuff I'm going to try applying that 
to the other novel, and that's what I'm doing now. And I found that's actually what I like writing instead of like trying to write super serious and dark or whatever. So, any closing statements at all? I saw another Questions hand out here. Question? Yeah, yeah sorry. I was just wondering how uh, you ended up bringing that over into a podcast. I mean, oh, thank you. you. I did want to. Radio story. Yes, I, I did mean to talk about that. Thank you. Uh, the way I do the podcast is um, I use my fancy H2 Zoom recorder here as a microphone. I take the chapters and I convert them to a script form. And the way I do the episodes is I shoot for what's a better ending for an episode. Uh, I try to shoot for about 20 minutes, but if I realize it's going to go to like, if it's, a, if it's a difference between an episode that's like 18 minutes and has like a great cliffhanger or an episode that's like 26 minutes and ends kind of so-so, I'll go for the shorter episode with a better ending. So not every episode is a chapter. Some episodes are, you know, I'm sorry, some chapters are like two episodes or, you know, but that's how I do it. I just take the the narration as a narrator the characters are all you know, have their own separate character dialogue. So it's pretty much everything that's in the book. I tweak a few things just because some things work better in print than they do, and than they do as like a audio play. Uh, if that makes sense. And I'm taking the the opportunity to kind of tweak some of the grammar problems that made it to the final draft last time, and uh, you know just punch things up a bit because I've gotten better at editing and revising stuff since I wrote this book. Um, but I put it all on the website myself. You know, they're all MP3s, and I edit it in GarageBand, add sound effects, add music. I have someone else who does. Uh, she does the voice of Era, the Pelican. So I do 99% of the voices. She's like the only other cast person so far, just because I'm crazy and I like doing all the character voices. Did I answer your question. Yeah. Or any other questions about that? Or? I have another recommendation. Lansing Community College has some great writing courses. Uh, I was six times I took their classes. They have novel writing, they have writing classes, and I watched Andrea Collier in there, and, and she'd been voted by Simon and Schuster while she was in the class. She got an agent, and, and, and then probably three others in there who found agents while they were in the class. But they, most of them have, like these guys, they started when they were young, when they were kids. They wanted to be writers. I never wanted to be a writer. Didn't do anything until I was 65. That's the first time I wrote anything, and uh, so I uh, I had to learn. But you might just as well learn. Take a class. Take a class if you're interested in writing, and then uh, you'll meet other people that are doing the same thing, and you'll learn so much. Somewhere, take a class. Yeah, I had a story making class in college which helped me out a lot just because it was it was like you know it's a creative writing class where we just went in and the professor's like okay here's write a story that has no character dialogue but it's you know or it's or it's unreliable narrator that kind of stuff you know which is a lot i like kind of challenge writing challenges like that i'll i'll do short stories for if there's like a call for submissions and you know i that have like a specific requirement they want for the story I like doing those because I like kind of being limited with what I can do sometimes because that way it kind of forces me to focus more on what would be a better story instead of, oh, I'll just do whatever. Whereas, okay, well, it's got to be a fable and it's got to have steampunk elements, okay, which is a story I did once and um, that was a lot of fun. But, yeah. yeah, but your bastard editor rejected it. Yeah.
<laughs> okay. Now that was the other one. That was the other one. That was the other one you rejected. Oh. That was the that was the Rumpelstiltskin one. <laughs> I, I get confused which I've rejected yours, you know. That's all right. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't even me that read. I know. It was the other editor. I know. <laughs> Thanks all for coming. Yes, thank you for heading out here. I think we're going to go hang out over there. Uh, oh, feel, yeah. I've got a bunch of these. They're free. The books are for sale. These are free. Please take them so I don't have to lug them home. <laughs> I've got an excerpt of my next book and five others. If you have any questions, just come over and talk to us. You know, yeah. please go over here for it. We get lonely. The Magic of Airy, the podcast, written and produced by Daniel J. Hogan. This podcast was produced in GarageBand and Audacity on a Mac. Some sound effects and music are provided by freesound.org. Other sound effects and music provided by GarageBand. For more information or to buy a copy of the original novel, please visit magicofairy.com or danieljhogan.com. And remember, Airy is spelled E-Y-R-I. And as always, thanks for listening.